1: It was one of those hot, humid, buggy Wisconsin summers where it went from snow to sauna in a week and a half and stayed there. The boy spent it perpetually wet from the lake. The sprinkler, a surprisingly durable water slide, Rue built out of trash bags on his grandmother's front lawn. Carmelo taught Rigel to knit. At first, she thought it was the resemblance of the needles to something a ninja might own that appealed to him. and Maybe it was. But he fixed on it like Santa's sunscreen and spent the summer trailing training scarves everywhere, dropped stitches unraveling like plot threads. Ben used practice tassels as bookmarks. Jupiter used abandoned projects as bedding. Orion employed them as bandanas, sweatbands, do-rags, tube tops, cummerbunds, and toga tails, coming down to lazy summer breakfasts as Bruce Springsteen and Julius Caesar, equally ancient in his mind. 50 Cent and Fred Astaire. But Claude wore them as long, flowing hair tresses that cascaded down his back or could be attached via headband, then rubber banded up like a real ponytail. Rue began a practice he'd honed to an art in the years to come, pretending he wasn't related to any of them. This is G.P. Gottlieb, host of New Books and Literature for the New Books Network. And today I'm talking to Lori Frankel about her book, this is how it always is. In this big, warm-hearted, juicy novel, Frankel tells the story of a couple who want their son to be whoever he wants to be, even if what he wants to be is a girl. Hi, Lori, thanks so much for joining me on this podcast today. Hi, Galeet. thank you so much for having me. So let's start with the traditional new books question. How did you come to write this lovely novel?
0: Yeah, that's such a good traditional question and also kind of a tough one. Um, but I mean, some of the short answers. Well, I it's my third novel, so um, I always try to start the next one as I'm finishing the previous one because otherwise it's very difficult to get started again. I think. And this particular one, I was really drawn to the idea. Uh, actually, lots of the ideas, I guess surrounding it. Um, But in particular, I was interested in the idea that that two parents facing the situation that the parents in this book are facing could show up and both want to be really uh, supportive and on board, but come at it from two really opposite points of view. And and that I thought would make a really interesting novel. Um, It is a novel about a a transgender kid, and I, I have a transgender kid, but neither one of those things were uh, clear to me at the beginning of the process. I wasn't sure the book was going in that direction. I wasn't sure the kid was going in that direction. Uh, and that is that is true frequently of, of both novel writing and, and child raising, as it turns out.
1: Right. So so you started with that idea of a transgender child.
0: I did. I did. I I was... Uh, really interested i was I had no interest at all actually in telling a story about one parent is really supportive and and ready to get on board, and one parent is of the no, I hate it, I hate you, get out of my house if you don't change this behavior you you cannot live under my roof. I know that that happens, but I did not want to talk about it and want to put it out there I don't think frankly it's a very interesting story it's a much more interesting story it seems to me to have both parents say yes heck yes we want to support you of course we're going to love you no matter what of course we're going to do everything we can for you but then the much more interesting question is okay great how whether seems like a pretty boring question how is is an enormous question and and it's the kind of question it takes 350 pages to answer and it's what it's what makes a good book.
1: Mm -hmm. So this is how it always is. Opens with the mother and her husband trying to conceive a daughter. So even though the mother, Rosie, is a doctor, she finds herself following all kinds of superstitious ideas, stories in hopes of having a girl after having four boys. So let's talk about the use of mythology and superstition in this novel.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's funny for her because she is a doctor. One of the things that I knew going into this book is that I was going to need her to be a doctor for for a couple of reasons. One is I tried to switch the gender roles as much as possible so she's the scientist and she's the doctor and she's the breadwinner and um, and he is an artist and he is a writer and he is a stay-at-home parent and and I wanted to to flip them. Um, I also knew I was going to need a doctor because there are lots of medical stuff that happens in this book that was going to need, that the reader was going to need an explanation on and, and she provides that, is able to provide that and and so i knew i was going to need those things but um but she's a fully developed character and one of the things that is true about about humans and fully developed characters is that they don't always make sense they aren't always consistent they aren't always logical and so while on the one hand she she is a scientist and and she knows that all of the things that she tries to conceive a girl like putting a spoon under the bed aren't going to work and don't have anything to do with, uh, you know, what the, the sex of a baby, Um, she does it anyway, because she, because she is human. And, um, and these are the sorts of things that we tell ourselves. okay, I'm sure, sure, sure. This isn't going to work, but, but yet it might. And so it doesn't cost me much to try and I'll try it anyway. Um, And so it was a nice way to open the book because it, it introduces us to, to all of the inconsistencies um, of, of, of that character. And really of all characters. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the, so she's the emergency room doctor, and he, Penn, is struggling to finish his DN. Right.
0: (laughs) Yeah. The DN is damn novel, and... um a term I use myself sometimes, although sometimes I substitute a less nice word even than the D. Um, okay. Writing novels is hard <laughs> um, and they they go where they will. They go in all sorts of directions. So yeah, he, he is a struggling writer and, and that seemed really important to me Two that to to think about the creative process and and the way it it lasts over the course of a whole thing um that it that the struggles with the creative process are not something that um is resolved usually in uh, a moment of revelation or you know a week of creative output it it's something that he struggles with over the course of um, really, like the ten years over which this novel takes place, uh, and and gosh, ten years seems seems awfully realistic to me <laughs> as far as how long it mm-hmm. might take to to figure out, you know, how to write a book.
1: Yeah, and this is your third, so they yeah. meet and fall in love and get married and start a family. And I I particularly enjoyed how your writing is mm-hmm. in the style of an old fashioned love story. If I hadn't known it was about Uh, a transgender child, I would have thought for the first 50 or so pages that it was a love story.
0: It is a love story. And I, I think that all stories are love stories really. And, and I also, as I say, I wasn't really interested in, in writing a book where the parents are, are in real battle with one another. Um, I was much more interested in, in the parents, being towards one another and, and towards their children loving and supportive and that's still being fraught and difficult because of course it is that is much more interesting to me I get very frustrated when I read books or or watch TV or movies where people are just screaming at each other all the time um, I don't I don't find it enjoyable I don't find it relatable but mostly I don't find it interesting so I well, much more wanting a relationship where these two people really love and support each other and yet disagree about important and fundamental things and therefore have to find a way to proceed that is both honoring themselves whilst also honoring one another.
1: You know what? You're right. That is different that they have this very, they clearly love each other. They have a wonderful relationship. And then they have this thing that they disagree with, but always respectfully, mostly, I want to say mostly respectfully. So the brothers, Rue, Ben, Rigel, and Orion, are these rambunctious little boys. And then Claude is born. What makes him so different from the very outset?
0: Well, you know, I think everything and nothing makes it very different from the outset. Uh, in that, all kids are are unique. All kids, I think, though, also look the same from the outside, and particularly in large families, where you know you just think of that big pack of of kids, and then they slowly differentiate themselves. From one another, Claude is different in all sorts of ways. Um, immediately, what they notice is that he's really precocious. He he walks early, and talks early, and reads early. And they chalk that up to being the youngest of five, and you know, and that he's just emulating his his siblings. And that makes perfect sense to me that that you would that you would think nothing more um, of his being precocious, other than his being the youngest of five. But also, you would, it's a wonderful thing. He, is, he's bright and smart and, and interested and engaged and enthusiastic. He's not getting lost in the fray of this household. And, and all of that is really wonderful and something to be grateful for. But it means that when he starts to get sad and he starts to get quiet and he starts to
1: get lost, um, their warning bells go off right away. Mm-hmm. You, you use a, an interesting device of uh, starting an, suddenly another chapter going back in history. And one of the times you start telling the story about Rosie's sister. Can you talk about that?
0: Yes. Rosie loses her sister when she's very young to cancer. It is one of the things that makes her want to be a doctor. And it is also something that we see shape her and and her children, who, of course, never have the opportunity to meet their aunt, um, you know, throughout all of their lives. And, and that, too, strikes me as the kind of thing that, that is sometimes used as a, as a device and then dropped. And, um, and, it, and what I found that it, it kept coming back as I think it, it would because it is so formative and, and so important and really such a hole in, in her life and in her mother's life, but also in her kids' lives, even though they never had an opportunity to meet her. The fact that they that they didn't have this opportunity to meet her is itself an enormous loss that they're all keenly
1: aware of. Mm -hmm. So then at age three, Claude announces that he wants to be a girl. What's the standard approach right now? Because, of course, the old standard approach in my generation was to completely uh, pay no attention to what the child wants. Um, What's the standard approach now? And do Rosie and Adam, uh, Rosie and Penn follow it?
0: I think, well, so... It's a that's such a huge question. It's such a good and huge question. Um the short answer I suppose is that there is no standard approach and that seems to me to be true of parenting in general that um these things present themselves and at first you don't quite know what you're dealing with and so you proceed do with the best guess you have with the most information you can get at the time that it presents itself. Um, When Claude first says at age three that he wants to be a girl and that he wants to wear dresses, um, and that it it, it doesn't, it doesn't strike his parents as something that they should be alarmed about. And indeed, I think that it is not. It certainly is not anyone's best practice to at that boy say, "Oh my gosh, you must be transgender." Let's you know go down to the courthouse and get you a new birth certificate mm-hmm. and, and all of that. Um, that isn't what anyone is is suggesting. And it is absolutely true that lots and lots of little boys will will want to wear dresses. And that's the wonderful thing. Not all of those little boys are going to become little girls. Not all of those little boys are going to be transgender, not even most of them. And the suggestion that they are would itself be, be extraordinarily alarming. And so it's a really very slow process of growing up as growing up always is uh, and Rosie and Penn take it as it comes. And at, at the beginning, it, it not only isn't alarming to them, it isn't anything that requires any, anything at all on their part, you know, other than to say, sure, yeah, let's play dress up. That sounds fun. (laughs) And, um, and so it's a really long time for them before it crosses into something that, that does cause them pause. And that evolution itself is, is and must be and ought to be very slow and, um, and in
1: development, you know, as children are. Right. I should have asked what is the healthy approach rather than the standard. What's oh yes. I see. The most helpful approach. That's what I meant. Yeah. And so I, I think there... that's the same answer probably. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So then um, there's this, wonderful psychologist whose phone number i'd like <laughs> yeah. he's the voice of calm and assurance but he's also the dispenser of wise advice and he's this brilliant voice in their ears is he based on someone in your life or someone we all want in our
0: lives. Yeah, alas, the latter he is based on someone we all want in our lives. In early drafts, mm. he was seven or eight different characters, all of whom showed up to do one scene of you know, a pediatrician and an endocrinologist and, and a therapist and a psychologist, and they would show up and, and do their one scene and then go away again. And that doesn't work in a novel. Frankly, it doesn't work that great in real life either, but it definitely doesn't work in a book. So then in later drafts, he had to become he had to become one person, and then he was kind of a weird person because he used to be all of these different people. And then the choice was to to kind of unweird him or to weird him up, to, to make him make more sense or less. And I I as you see I sort of doubled down on, on that decision. Um, and he becomes a very, a very quirky guy who goes in lots and lots of directions. Um, and and as with as with having a doctor main character tells the reader a lot of things that, that we probably don't know and need to, but also um, is the is as you say the dispenser of, of advice and wisdom that that Rosie and Penn need as parents.
1: Mm-hmm. So let's um, talk about how the, the issue about where Poppy should go to the bathroom. At school and how the issue is handled, how it's being handled in our society today. Yes,
0: it's a it's a huge it's a it's a big question because it varies so enormously from state to state and district to district and school to school. Um, Truthfully, I think it is much ado about nothing. I I don't actually think that the bathroom issue is a real issue. I think it is a made up issue, um, mostly to, I think, incite fear and anger and drive people to the polls. I think it is, I just don't think it is real. Um, in, in Washington State, where I live, uh, the protections have been on the books for a dozen years uh, that entitles students to, to use the bathroom that aligns with their gender identity. And that has been incident-free, 100% without incident for 12 years. So this suggestion that we see sometimes and indeed that makes it to the ballot sometimes that if that is what happens that if kids and adults are allowed to use the bathroom that matches their gender identity that this will be unsafe or that this will result in violence is is simply untrue. It is also of course completely unenforceable. The notion that an elementary school is going to station someone outside of bathrooms and like ask kids to pull down their pants and prove which restroom they should be using. That's what would be absurd. That's what would be upsetting to us. Mm -hmm. So in fact, um, this is, this is a, this is just a, a situation that um, many schools have solved in the way that it's solved in the book that is I did not make that up that solution where it 's like okay well you you child cannot be made to use this bathroom, cannot be allowed to use this bathroom, so you have to go use the nurse 's bathroom is in fact the solution that lots and lots of schools have settled on, um, but it is one that is unnecessary because in fact saying to children you identify as a gender go and use that bathroom um is a thing that not only is is safe and without incident it is something that kids completely understand
1: so you agree we'd be better off with a sign that says we don't care what you are just please wash your hands yeah absolutely yes <laughs> yes yes <laughs> okay. hand washing i'm very pro hand washing that is yes for Me sure too. <laughs> all right um, until Poppy experiences homophobia, the Walsh Adams family lives in this big old farmhouse in Madison, Wisconsin, um, and they pick up and move to Seattle. But Madison, home of a Big Ten school and to two of my children, yeah. is known is known as a tolerant, open community. Absolutely. So it is absolutely, what, what and, and I
0: love Madison. Um, and I am at, at pains to to say to, to say this: their decision to the family's decision to move from Madison to Seattle is driven really entirely by Rosie, the mother. And it is meant to suggest that she's gone a little bit crazy, maybe even a lot crazy. She is driven around the bend. Oh. She witnesses this incident of terrible violence and reacts to it as we so often do by thinking I am not safe and my children are not safe. I am their mom and I have to protect them at all costs. To me, it's actually a very similar idea to the one that you, you were asking about before that opens the book where she's a doctor, but this little part of her brain thinks if I put a spoon under the bed, I will conceive a girl. And right, right. and s- similarly, the, the logical part of her is thinking one thing, but the mom part of her is all mama bear is all thinking like, I must protect my child at all costs. This terrible thing has happened. What we have to do is flee. One of the things that she has to learn over the course of the book is that packing up and moving is not always the answer and isn't even possible. And that sometimes what she has to do is stay and fight. So that is, you know, her journey over the course of the thing. Um, for my part I I as the author of this I just needed I the, the book takes place in in four parts but but really in in three Acts. And, I, and I wanted a physical movement in between each of them to, to indicate it. So it's not just that they leave Madison for Seattle, but they leave the Midwest for, for the coast, and that they leave what is sprawling and, and wide and, and flat um, for something that is very green and hilly and a city. Um, it's all of these, these changes in their lives that I wanted to be able to show in lots of ways rather than, than just the, the one way. It also, you know, of course drives the plot. Um they're suddenly faced with this with this question that they have not had to face yet, which is who do you tell and and how? And I, I it drives much of the second half of the novel and I wouldn't have been able to do it if I hadn't if I had moved them. So in some ways it's just a a plot consideration. Uh,
1: is is Poppy affected the same way most many children who discover that they're transgender that they want to be the opposite gender is she it seemed to me that she wasn't as affected that she just goes happily on her way delighted with everything happy to wear a ponytail just enjoying life like a regular child and it's everybody around her who seem nervous and upset indeed
0: i mean of course she is a she is a regular child and 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 so are so we're all, I mean, so we're all children, really. Um, it is for me where the title comes from. This is how it always is. I think that most parents will not have a transgender child, but most parents will have a child who is sometimes gender non-conforming and all parents will have children who are sometimes non-conforming period. Sometimes kids fit in and sometimes kids are weird. I mean, you know, kids are weird. And, um, and so there are many ways in which she is is very middle of the pack and some ways in which she falls on an end of the spectrum. And I think that is true of, of all children. It was why I was so insistent on doing five siblings is because it seemed to me to be the best way to look at the ways in which none of these kids fits in all of the time. All of those kids have problems sometimes. And and sometimes the ways in which they fail to fit in are great. We, th- we think, oh, this child is so creative and so unusual, and this is really wonderful. And sometimes we think, oh, no, 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 that's not okay. That kind of weird doesn't work for us. And, uh, and intervention is required. And it's interesting to me which things fall into which category on those fronts. Um, Poppy really is a very... Normal, healthy child because she is supported at home. Kids who experience problems when they are gender nonconforming, it is because they are not welcomed by other parts of their life. So if they are not being supported at Mm -hmm. home or they're not being supported in their community, or they're not being supported at school, that's where those problems come from. Poppy is really lucky in that her parents say, okay, let's do this thing. Let's figure out how to, to make the logistics work to support you. And that I think is what elementary schools and parents are doing all the time in so many different ways for so many different cases and and ought to be. And those kids thrive in direct proportion to how loved and supported they are, as do we all.
1: Mm -hmm. So in addition to that wonderful therapist, um, the other wise loving presence for the family and especially for Poppy is Rosie's mother. Right, yes. Yeah,
0: I, my books always have grandmothers in them. I, um, the new one that I'm working on wasn't going to and then she appeared it's not something that I usually decide to do going in, but she always shows up. I was very close with both of my grandmothers. Um, my kid is very close with my mother. I am a big believer in, in grandmothers. Um, the other thing, though, that was interesting to me and, and seemed important to talk about in this case is that so frequently Um, parents of transgender kids get right on board, but they're very nervous about telling their parents. There is all of this um, trauma around telling the grandparents because they think the grandparents are not going to understand. And uh, much more often than not, the grandparents surprise you. The grandparents um, also get right on board. Grandparents, first of all, have seen a lot because they are, they are not yet spring chickens. They're not young. Um, And they've been around some time. And, also, this, I think, is what grandparents suit up for, this unconditional love. That I don't care about the details. I don't need to worry about the day-to-day. I just am going to love you because you are my grandkid. That that seems to me to be what grandparents suit up for. So in this case, it seemed really important to be able to um, stand up for those for those grandparents who are ready to stand up for, for their grandkids. Mm-hmm.
1: Love the grand Carmelo. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's tension, obviously, for many reasons, just families and raising five children and, uh, Penn not finishing his book, all kinds of things. But the real tension that they need to overcome as a family is when they decide to keep Poppy's background a secret.
0: Right. Yes. And this is something that was just really important to, uh, to honor and acknowledge in addition to it, it drives the novel. So, um, so the kind of novelist answer that I, that I want to give is that, um, well, you want your your life to be free of plot and drama. You want your novel to be full of plot and drama. Um, secrets are a really wonderful thing to, to put in a novel because they have to come out eventually. So you keep reading to find out when they will and how and what will happen next. So there's that, you know, kind of very, very simple answer. That said, I know a lot. I know a lot of transgender people. I know a lot of transgender children and their parents at this point, And more of them than not, especially the kids are in fact living what is called stealth. They they aren't out. They they people don't don't know. And there are lots of really wonderful arguments on both sides of that debate. um, And they are entirely individual. It depends on the kid. It depends on the family. It depends on the community. It depends on the circumstances and the situations. They are very, very complicated questions. But I know an awful lot of people who have made this decision. And then the question becomes, okay, if you're not telling everybody right away, then, then who and when and how? And that becomes a really Difficult question. I have probably thought about this question more than any single human being on earth between you know, <laughs> raising a child myself and writing this book. And it wasn't a question that was ever on the table for us because we didn't move. We've we've been here the whole time. Everyone we know knows. They watched it, they watched it happen. It is not a fast process. Um, and it is not a it is not one that can be done in, in secret for the most part. So it wasn't a question for us. But if we moved, I still don't know what we would do because it is a diff for exactly the reasons that, that they face in the in the book, it's a very difficult thing to lead off with. It's not something you say after Hi My Name is, but it is also a really difficult time to find difficult challenge to find the right moment. Anytime thereafter. And, um, and that's how secrets start getting capped. And, um, and it's a, it is a, it is a difficult, it is a difficult, nuanced, fraught, fraught thing, which makes it a great thing to put in a back, uh, but a difficult thing to live with.
1: There's so much going on in this novel, in addition to these issues we've discussed, and I absolutely loved pens long-running fairy tale the story that he tells the boys every night it's just an amazing uh consistent lessons about tolerance and differences and he makes it into a an amazing story Can you address that? Yes, thank you. I'm so glad you liked
0: it. It was one of those things that I thought of in the very seat of the book. And I thought, oh, this is going to be a nice device to help you keep track of, you know, where you are in the book. And it's going to be really easy to write and it's going to help me, you know, write the book. It's going to help you read the book. It's going to be great. And then it was the hardest thing. And I revised and revised and revised and revised it, which is another thing that happens frequently between the planning stages and the actual execution of the book. Uh, In this case, um, it seemed like the Perfect device because fairy tales are foundational. They are the building blocks of the rest of the stories we tell. Um, They are often the first stories we tell our kids, they're often the first movies that our children see. They cross time and cultures and nations. Um, all, All of these, you know, these wonderful things, and they're great stories. But they're really problematic for children in general, and I think transgender children in particular, because fairy tales are all about transformation. But that transformation is instantaneous. It is painless. It is total. Um, You know, once Cinderella becomes a princess, nobody is saying to her like, hey, remember last week when you were on your knees cleaning the kitchen? Um, And certainly no one is (laughs) saying to her, you are really a kitchen maid at heart. You aren't a princess. That's pretend. and, and that is, and so therefore they become difficult stories for kids. It is also true that in fairy tales, the transformation is itself a reward for being good. So if you fail to transform or fail to transform entirely, it is because you have been bad. And that is also a really problematic message for these kids. So I was very interested in what we could keep about these stories about transformation and that, that would be useful and, and meaningful and and what c- about them could be adjusted and, and changed to keep the idea of a fairy tale but make them work better for children who are undergoing actual change, which is very rarely painless and very rarely total and um, and very very rarely instantaneous.
1: I thought more about the ugly duckling than cinderella in terms of transformation when i was reading the story but okay but cinderella works too
0: yeah i mean in fact that's what all of these stories are it's very interesting if you take them down to the if you take them down to the building blocks and you look at their manifestations in other cultures what you find is that um that is what they're about they're about change and how exactly that happens and what exactly it looks like varies widely but in fact the the stories are mostly about the the lead-up the lead-up to the change the change itself is is you know is um offered as as climax and denouement and that's lovely it's just it only um speaks to one part of of being a kid and and then there are all of these other parts too
1: -hmm. I'm going to quote something Rosie says, and hope you will address it. Rosie says, "This is a medical issue, but mostly, mostly, it's a cultural issue. It's a social issue and an emotional issue, and a family dynamic issue, and a community issue."
0: Yes. So, how do I want to say this? It is a. It, it I, I, All of those things are true, but this is also a part in the novel where she is speaking to Penn's desire to treat it just as a medical issue or to treat it from a medical angle to medicate and then move on. And her argument is that that, that isn't a decision that, she, that medication issue is not a decision she feels comfortable making for her minor child and also is only part of the issue at hand when adult transgender people make decisions as to treatment they are they're taking they're able to take into account all sorts of things that kids just are not and so um there are many ways in which this is medical there are many ways in which it is physical there are many ways in which it is emotional and there are all of these ways in which it is outside of the of the self and the the person in particular and and so all of those things are part of it it's it's big and of course it is because issues of identity are enormous we wouldn't we wouldn't think otherwise so this is just this part of the book is is her parents getting their heads around what it means it is difficult to think about identity issues for a child because children change every day. And so part of Rosie's concern is making decisions for a kid who's going to be a new person next week, next month, next year, because that is the state of, of childhood.
1: Yeah. So Lori, I've taken up so much of your time and I know it's almost uh, time for school pickup. So I'm, oh, going yeah. to, we're going to end with a you're lovely, <laughs> you're grand. traditional new books question. What are you working oh, yeah. on? What are
0: you working on now? What's next? So I am in the I want to say final final revision throws, though final might be optimistic. I'm in revision throws, let's say late revision throws on the next novel, which is called 123 and which um will be out probably not this winter but next, uh, we hope. Um and um And, you know, and that is, as I said at the beginning, that's how I, that is how I stay sane is by always starting, making sure that the next book is underway because writing novels is, is daunting. They're very long. And if you don't start the next one, um, yeah, I at least get, get sort of mired in the possibilities. Um, so that is, it is drafted. It is, it is solved. And, um, and I am, I'm hopeful that, that the revision process isn't going to be too, too terrible, though, gosh, you just never know.
1: Right. Good luck with everything. Thank you so much for being with me today.
0: Thank you, Golly. Thank you so much. It's really lovely to, to do this and to chit-chat with you.
1: And thank you for listening to this podcast from the New Books Network. Once again, I'm GP Gottlieb, host of New Books and Literature. And today I've been talking with Lori Frankel about her novel, This Is How It Always Is. If you're looking For something to read, join the New Books Network for podcast interviews about wonderful books in a variety of subjects. Goodbye and happy reading.